0: Psalm 11 has a um, verse in it, verse 3, that is kind of going to be uh, the title of the message if you want to put a title on it. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, that that sounds like kind of a challenging question, doesn't it? Is there any hope? And um, I've taken the time, uh, it didn't take much time, to um, put the Word of God up onto the uh, screen here, uh, because as we go through it tonight, I want you to understand that I realize that's what's important, is God's Word, not mine. And uh, so we're going to give attention to that tonight. Now, uh, this psalm was penned by David, and um, different people have different ideas of what the circumstances were. Um one person thought it was uh um matter of fact uh, it was Dr. Ryrie who's uh, the made the notes in the Bible that I'm using and um he seemed to think that it was either uh 1st 1 Samuel 18:11 or 1st 1 Samuel 19:10 both of which were occasions when David was in the palace and King Saul sought to add a little something to his body like a spear through the middle of it. And um, David <clears throat> had quite a background. Uh, I think David was a very capable and gifted person. Um, he was a good shepherd, uh, he protected his sheep by killing a lion and a bear. Uh, he was a great songwriter and psalmist and uh, as we're going to see tonight and as we've seen in many other Psalms, and some of which I'm sure are your favorite, um, he was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel, the youngest of all the brothers in the family, and was almost neglected by his father. He didn't even bring him out and you probably know that story. And um, then somehow He was brought by the existing king, Saul, into the palace to uh, be the musician to play for Saul. And the scripture says um, in more than one place that when uh, David played and um, ministered to Saul with music that the evil spirit left Saul and Saul calmed down. But on two occasions, one before the Goliath incident and one after uh, David was in the palace playing for Saul, and um, I guess we could say it didn't work on those two occasions because Saul picked up a javelin and uh, tried to impale David. In both cases, David escaped. Now, uh, David had uh, become a great warrior. He killed Goliath. Uh, He led Saul's troops out in victory. Uh, He uh, was given Saul's daughter as a wife. Kind of a mixed blessing, I think. Maybe some people would say not a blessing at all, but anyway. And uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name. It's spelled like Michael, so I'll pronounce it that way. And, um, but uh, David uh, got a great reputation as a warrior and you remember the gals were singing David uh, has killed his 10,000, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. of course that upset Saul a little bit and uh, David knew that he had been appointed and anointed to be the next king of Israel, but Saul was still there and Saul set about to do away with David. And um, some people feel, or at least one person that I read, that this was um, written, this psalm was written by David after an incident at uh, Keala. Now David had a band of about 400 men and um, he talked to God about the situation there in Keela, which was a, a town that was being... Um, persecuted and uh, uh, under the heel of the Philistines and he asked God, should I defend this town? Should I uh, fight for them with our uh, Robin Hood's band of 400 men and free this town from the Philistines? And God said, yeah, do it. And so David did. And uh, shortly thereafter, although they think the town would be very grateful somebody there sent word to Saul that that's where David was. And um, so uh, one of the commentators I read seemed to feel that maybe this this psalm was written at, at that point in time because David was just saying, I don't know what to do. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I... Uh, looked up the meaning of these words in Hebrew. Now I cannot read Hebrew, I don't understand Hebrew. Um, Somebody said I know a little Hebrew and a little Greek and uh, one uh, runs a delicatessen and the other is a haberdasher. I don't even know any little Hebrews or little Greeks that I know of. But I do know how to use a concordance and I looked these up and um, to uh, Figure out what, what does this word foundations mean in the original language. And um, if they'll put that up on the screen, you'll see here that um, some of the synonyms here might be a basis, uh, political or moral support, a foundation, a purpose. And, and the only other place it's used in Scripture is Isaiah 19.10 where it is translated purpose. And it says, if, if that be destroyed. Well, what were the foundations in those days? Well, there were political foundations, and of course it was King Saul in that case. There were moral foundations, which were the word of God for the Israelites. Uh, there were judicial foundations, which were judges that were set up originally by God, but uh, had deteriorated uh, significantly. Uh, There were economical foundations, and uh, we know a little bit about that in recent days. And uh, there were religious foundations that were established by God through Abraham and Moses and a number of people and prophets. and uh, <clears throat> destroyed. What does that word mean? Well, in the Hebrew, that meant to break in pieces, to ruin irrepar- irreparably, and utterly destroy. Now, when you put those those definitions on the words in verse 3, it says, if the foundations, and that's just everything we built our society on, or they had, be destroyed and destroyed, and and David is using a word here that says, it, it almost seems like it's without hope. Uh, what can the righteous do? And uh, hence the question. Well, <clears throat> what are our foundations today? Um, we uh, are right in the midst, or the, almost the end of a, a political election process as we're about to have a new president, uh, what is it, next Tuesday, is that it? And um, I uh, I thought about some of these things, and you've got to realize I'm older than some of you. I may be younger than a couple, but I'm older than most of you. Okay, And uh, I remember when World War II started, and I remember what we went through here in America, at least what my family and my town went through during World War II, and I see a couple heads nod, and and you do too. <coughs> And um, I remember what society was like back in those days. And I remember what school was like. I mean I went to a one-room school. There weren't eight grades to one teacher because there was nobody in two of the grades. If there had been, there had been eight grades to one teacher. And there were some years where we didn't have graduation because there was no one in the eighth grade. But, uh, <clears throat> and then I, I went to a big city high school. And even there, we read the Bible in school, and um, we prayed in opening exercises. Um, In my little town in New Hampshire, I only knew of one couple that was divorced. Um, Abortion was an illegal and unheard of thing, drunkenness did exist, and um, I was on the a volunteer in the fire department in that little town, and remember more than one teenager that uh, life was snuffed, up, snuffed out as a result of drunken driving. Drugs were not a big thing. Immorality probably was, but it didn't it didn't seem to impact uh, my family very much. Uh, we didn't hear a lot about it. Um, but today, uh, as I, as I look at those things, um, I become very concerned and think the foundations, some of the foundations of our society seem to be becoming destroyed and, and, and disappearing from where they ought to be. Now, I'm not going to get into a political discussion, um, but, um, one thing, I there's no question probably in your mind that I am pro-life and um, if our new president does what he said he will do and that is sign the focus bill um, that uh, from what I understand can undo a whole bunch of state laws on abortion. Um, and to me that's a foundation that's that's being destroyed. And so as we look at our society today, I think we still have all the same pretty much foundations that they had back then. Political, um, human common decency to people, um, judicial, economical, and religious. So what is the foundation of the righteous? What is your foundation? What is my foundation? Well in Luke chapter 6 and verse 47 Jesus said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. And in verse 48 he said, he's like a man that built a house, dug deep, laid a foundation upon a rock. And that's where my foundation is. My foundation is upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really should say, who is the foundation rather than what is the foundation? 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And tonight we saw three people who made a public confession through baptism that they are on the rock, that the foundation in their life is Jesus Christ. Well, I uh, looked up a number of verses where the word foundation appears. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. What do you mean, David, the foundations are being destroyed? David, you're a believer. Are you getting discouraged, David? I mean, just because the king's chasing you and throwing javelins at you? And the people you've helped have deserted you? Um, Are you giving up, David? And Paul wrote to Timothy, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Well, what can the righteous do? And and I'd like to make ten suggestions And um, I believe these suggestions are based on the Word of God, and, and most of them are based right here on Psalm number 11. And the first one is, from verse 1, to rest in the Lord. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? We feed the birds out in the country where we live now, and um, I can walk by a window that goes to a room that has another window that has a bird feeder out there, and the birds at that bird feeder just I mean I'm not out there, I'm not on the window next to them, I'm on a window inside next to another window 16 feet away, and they see all the way through there. And I just walk by there, and they're gone. And um, I used to get upset about sometimes feeding some of them. out. out. We're out with some farms, and I don't know what those blackbirds are. I don't know whether they're starling. I don't know what they are. Maybe you do. You can tell me later. But you know, there are flocks of them with hundreds of them, and they'll all go this way, and they'll all go that way, and then they come to my bird feeder. Well, you know... They can empty that bird feeder and not be satisfied to so many of them. I used to get upset about that. And then I realized that's what I was. I was just somebody in a pack of people. So I have got to thinking when those birds come around, now I look and I don't take the time to count a number 102 and number 106, but that's what I am. I'm one of those. And that's where I was. And then Jesus found me. I accepted him as my savior when I was 19 years old, but the greatest thing about it is he accepted me. It's not something great that I accept him. We say that, but the greatest thing is he accepted me. And and there was no good reason that he should accept me. I wasn't in a family where there were any Christians. And you know, I wasn't a terrible sinner. But I was a sinner, and when I went to church one day and the pastor preached from the book of Romans, he didn't have to really convince me I was a sinner. I knew that. But what I didn't know is I didn't know that Jesus had died for me personally. I know what Easter was, Good Friday, and you know, but when I found out that I was separated from God and he died for me personally that 102nd black bird there in the, in the whole group became a very special bird in Jesus' eyes and he died for me and uh, so in this verse it says <clears throat> David don't, uh, don't fly away like the birds, don't be upset rest in the Lord looked up that word and it means relax repose or recline Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Hear that, David? When the foundations get destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, don't get shook up. You say, does it say that? Well, it says shaken, and I guess that would be the contemporary way to say it. And um, Peter said, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We went to a funeral last week and signed the guest book, and that's the verse we put down. Um, Well, second suggestion. Remember God is in control. Look at verse number four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And you know what? It's not shaking. And uh, God isn't up there wringing his hands, saying, what am I going to do about this situation on earth? And David, I know it looks bad where you are right now, but God isn't trembling in fear. So just remember, he's in control. Genesis 18.25 Words of Abraham, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? My King James says, do right. Well, that's a rhetorical question. It doesn't require an answer. The answer is obvious. Yes, the God of all the earth will do right. He's done right in my life for the last 51, two years now, since I came to know him. And he's going to keep doing right. And um, he's in control. The third thing I think we can see from this is we need to realize that God sees all. Take a look at verse 2 and verse 4. For behold, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon their string to shoot in darkness at the upright. King James says privily or privately or secretly But you know what? It's no secret to God. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. And he sees whether it's day, light, or midnight. He sees whether it's out in the open or down in the cellar. He sees everything. And realize that God sees it all. And he's not concerned and shook up that the righteous are going to fall and be taken advantage of. And David, don't worry about it. The next one, number four, I'm, uh, well, I'm not as excited about that one, I guess, because that one kind of hits me where I live. Uh, and that is remain in God's classroom. Verse number five says, "The Lord tests the righteous." Maybe we could say the Lord proves the righteous, or He tests them to prove them. And uh, I don't know about you, but very often uh, I don't I don't get excited about that. Uh, I I don't want to remain in God's classroom. I want to react. I want to remove. I want to resign. I want to get out of there. And, and, and God, I think I've passed enough tests. I don't need any more. But then another one comes. <clears throat> and in Psalm 68, verses 8 through 10, it says, Bless our God, O people, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life, and does not allow our feet to slip. For thou hast tried us, or tested us, or proved us, O God. Thou hast refined us as silver. Uh, Have you ever been to a silversmith's place where he's refining silver? I haven't. But I've read about it. And uh, what I've read says that he really puts the heat to the silver, and uh, it becomes liquid, And the dross in that silver rises to the top and he skims it off so that he can make that silver pure and get rid of the dross that's in it. And I read that the silversmith really knows when it's pure and he can look in the silver and he can see an accurate reflection of his own face. And I guess that's what Jesus wants to see when he looks into my life and your life as we're going through times of testing, to refine us, and to prove us, and to make us more like Him, so that He sees Himself more clearly in us. Well, the uh, fifth thing that I see—I see—as I think about this is um, that I need to respond properly. Sometimes that means I need to repent. I need to be refined. Peter said in uh, 1 Peter 4.17, For it is time for judgment to begin with those scoundrels out there. Who, no, it doesn't say that, does it? It says to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those scoundrels? of those who do not obey the gospel. And um, to put this in my language, I think he's saying if we'll get right with God and we'll grow in Christ and we'll be more Christ-like, other people will get saved. Kind of think that's what he's saying in, in plain old my English. First John 1.9 reminds us a wonderful verse. I, I have to use this verse every day. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, or our uh, NAS says, faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think it was John DeBrine that I heard say this, where he said, you know, that verse says that if we will name the sins that we know about to God, he will not only forgive those sins, but he'll cleanse us from all those sins that we're not even aware of that we committed. And I got thinking about that, and I thought, you know, do I do things that displease God that I'm not aware of? And I kind of got a little tap on my spiritual shoulder, and God said, uh, well, do your children ever do anything? We have five children and 20 grandchildren. Do your do your kids or your grandkids ever do anything that upsets you that they don't even realize that it upsetted you? that they didn't mean to do it, but they just did it? And they're not going to come and ask forgiveness because they didn't even know it upset you. Well, that's kind of like it is with me, God says. If you'll name the ones you know about, I'll forgive those, and I'll cleanse you from everything else that you didn't even know about. Isn't that a wonderful promise? And uh, in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. It says that's Old Testament, of course. That's uh, that's kind of the First John one nine of the Old Testament, I guess. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion or mercy. And then Second Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Where well, is that that verse and that foundation again? having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let every one of us who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Well, suggestion number six <clears throat> is to refrain from retaliation. I don't know about you, but I, I, I struggle with that one too. Uh, it says, in the one who loves violence, his soul hates, that's being God. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares, fire and brimstone. Go get them, God. Burning will, burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Yep. And and God, I'll help you with that. Okay. Uh, I, I can help you with this vengeance thing. You know, I can help get even. Oh, wait a minute. There's another verse here. from Romans it says never take your own revenge beloved but leave room for the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord sometimes I like to help God with that do you ever like to do that I mean it just kind of feels good but it really doesn't And then the second suggestion I I, I think we can say here and and I I went to the I couldn't really justify this one in Psalm 11 but lest somebody think we never should say anything and that is there are times when we need to reprove and rebuke false teaching. If uh, you find that um, I'm saying something today that is contrary to scripture I encourage you not right now, probably, but after the service to come and tell me about it. I don't really want to be a false teacher. And, um, but Paul told Timothy to preach the word. Be ready in the winter and the summer, in season, out of season, all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And of course we see this in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, we see it in our world today, and that's why some of the foundations for the Christian faith have fallen by the wayside and and been corrupted uh, in different places at different times. Number eight, I thought this kind of indicated I need to respond to others with love. The last part of verse four says, His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men, and not just the wicked but the righteous. Those without a relationship with Jesus have moving or no foundation. Your neighbors may look at you and say, how do you handle that? I couldn't handle that. What they may say or may not say, you may know that they've got a situation where they don't know what to do because their life has fallen apart. And so what a great time for us to have the courage and the humility and the opportunity to share the love of Christ. My ninth suggestion is from verse number seven. For the Lord is righteous, he loves the righteous. He loves righteousness. And I please him. And you please him when we reach for new heights of righteousness. And um, that old hymn, I'm pressing on the upward way, a couple of you know I'd remember that, okay? and uh, reaching new heights every day, and um, maybe not every day, but new heights of righteousness. Second Corinthians 5.21 He made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for me and you on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now positionally if you know Christ you are righteous in your day to day walk like me uh, there may be times when uh, your uh, shoes and your feet and maybe even up to your ankles and now and then your knees uh, get a little soiled and we have to apply First John 1 9 but we should be reaching for new heights of righteousness now if you happen to be here tonight and, and you have never experienced what the folks our brother's and sister gave a testimony over here. If you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I always used to think that Christianity was a religion. But it isn't. It's a personal relationship with the Founder himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all... All religions in the world really is just one religion. It's a religion of works. Doing something whereby I will make myself right with God. Get a little closer every day, doing something a little better. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that I'm reaching up for God. But the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ reached way down for me and he establishes that relationship and if you're climbing thinking you're going to someday make yourself right with God then why don't you read Isaiah 64 6 and 7 for all of us have become like the one who's unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, a rag King James calls it and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there's no one who calls on thy name, O Lord, who arouses himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hidden thy face from us, and hast delivered us into the power of our iniquities. It's a relationship, my friend, with Jesus Christ, and he established it. Well, the last suggestion. From verse number seven, the upright will behold his face. Some of the translations say his faces. Plural. In First Corinthians ten thirty-one, whether we then whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I really like Second Corinthians three eighteen. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And as, and as we look into his face and as we obey him and as we follow him our face looks more like his. Remember Moses came down from the mountain that's the context here. And he didn't even realize that his face shone. But all the other people saw it. And finally he realized he had, he had to put a veil over it. Because it was so bright. They couldn't look on him. And the more we look on Jesus. And the more that we follow him. Then the more we will shine with his glory. Well, what's your response today? As a believer, repent if God's touched your heart about something, renew your loving commitment to Jesus Christ, and recommit to follow the Lord Jesus step by step every day. For you see, the foundations of the righteous have not been destroyed. Our foundation is Jesus. He hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. He's still here. He's still our foundation. And no matter what happens in the world around us, we may get sad, we may get upset, we may say that's not right, but our foundation hasn't moved. And as I repent and renew and recommit to serve the Lord, uh, I'll be revived. And when... When should I do all these things? Well, I put the word now in there. Seems like the Lord doesn't ever call us to do things later that we should be doing now. And if you're here without the Lord Jesus tonight, will you receive his free gift of eternal life? By faith alone. In Jesus alone. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the foundation of our faith. It's not a religion, but you're a person. And that you're still there, and your throne has not been moved, and we're still in your hand, and you're still taking care of us. And Father, I would pray for maybe one here today who has not established a relationship with you, the Lord, maybe I should say, has not allowed you to establish that relationship with them. And Lord, my brothers and sisters, join me, I know, in praying that that one would put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his wonderful name. Amen. So the next time you get upset by uh, reading something in the news, The next time you get upset about uh, something that kid across the street does, just remember, they don't have a foundation like we've got. They can have, and maybe God will use you to extend love to them.